This is Jeff Cross, and welcome to the July 4th, 2022 edition of Views on the News from the Couch, a baby boomer's attempt to pass along his views on the news. Happy 4th of July. Sometimes Americans are idiots. I remember an American asking if the English had the 4th of July. Why, yes, we do, was the response, though we don't celebrate it as a special day. I was thinking of doing a bit of a civics thing today. Fourth of July has something to do with the Declaration of Independence, but tell me again what that was? A bit on the Constitution, which, by the way, was our second attempt at a national government because the first attempt was so weak it was embarrassing. And we purposefully made the national government in the second effort a bit weak also. And then maybe I would ease into the concept of federalism. But I kind of went off the rails. Let's get federalism out of the way first. It might best be described by the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution. Quote, The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. End quote. Think about those words as we, continue, as we consider issues of today. And are they something for the federal government or for the state governments? And if we think the federal government should be much more involved, then we should revoke the 10th Amendment via a new 28th Amendment. By the way, 27 amendments. My favorite team, the New York Yankees, have won 27 World Series. Coincidence? But I digress. As I woke up and started this exercise, I saw the linked New York Post article by Guy Shepard titled, quote, This July 4th, we the people should reconnect with the secret of our success, the Declaration and Constitution, end quote. First, he addresses the question if the United States sucks because of errors, grievous errors, committed in the past and quotes Machiavelli stating that the beginnings of a country involve some, quote, force and fraud, end quote. And that slavery was horrible, but he notes it was, quote, an old world inheritance. I don't view that as absolving us of guilt. More telling the Europeans to shut the hell up and atone for their part in the sin. Mr. Shepard says the secret sauce to the success of the United States was stated in only five words in the Declaration of Independence. Quote, all men are created equal, end quote. Were they? I say were instead of are because I am talking 1776. If all men were created equal, then one would think all men could vote. And at least nowadays when I read quote, all men, end quote, I'm thinking an inclusive definition that includes women, but not back then. Still, could all men vote? Nope. According to one article I read, you had to be white and landowning in addition to being male. Another article said 200 plus years ago, some northern states did not specify white, but it did not matter much because few free blacks owned property. I struggle with hypocrisy. How could the assembled learned men in 1776 write, all men are created equal, and be fine with slavery for black men, limited rights for women, and no vote if white males did not own property? That sure seems like an oops to me. And when I talk the assembled learned men in 1776, I'm thinking Jefferson and his chief editor, Benjamin Franklin, who both had serious mental horsepower. On the one hand, maybe I worry too much about hypocrisy. 
to deal with major issues, it is not all round pegs and round holes and square pegs and square holes. Sometimes you have to jam them in. On the other hand, maybe this coexistence of the phrase, all men are created equal, with slavery and the disenfranchisement of the vote for all women and many white men is a sign that the Declaration of Independence was aspirational. Not a declaration that we are great, but rather a declaration that we want to be great. I'm not an absolutist. By that I mean when I am judging or evaluating, I almost always compare. Yes, not all men could vote and no women, but maybe a higher percentage than in most countries at the time. And early on, the right to vote expanded to take away the requirement to own land, though in a state-by-state -state approach. Women in the United States were guaranteed the right to vote by the 19th Amendment in 1920, but Wyoming already had the right to vote in 1889 when they joined the Union as a state. In the Wyoming Territory, women had the right to vote since 1869. When did women in the rest of the world get the right to vote? To answer that, you have to make a distinction between some voting and all voting. Sweden early on seemed to let landowning guild member women vote in local elections. Now nah, I'm talking about the big elections. I include a link to brilliant maps, which in one map shows the year for each country. Norway, New Zealand, Australia, Canada, and the United States all have asterisks. I'm guessing for all except Norway, that has to do with the fact that many women already had the right to vote in national elections by province, but that some provinces were holdouts. Anyway, what can we see from the map? Canada was 1917 and Australia was 1902. Most Central and South American countries did not grant women the right to vote until the 1940s and 50s, similar for Africa. Europe was mostly the early part of the 1900s. Asia was around 1950s, though Russia granted women the right to vote in 1917. The commies got one thing right. England granted women the right to vote in 1918, but the ladies had to be over 30 and own property, while males only had to be over 21. Seems unfair, particularly since the ladies are more mature than the lads when both are in their early 20s. FYI, tiny Pitcairn Island seemed to have paved the way for women's suffrage, granting women the right to vote in 1838. Back to Mr. Shepard's article. He compares our revolutionary experience with France's of the same era. According to Mr. Shepard, both, the, both, quote, the French and American revolutions were both based on equality, but whereas prosperity and political liberty were the fruits of the American experiment, France's contribution was the guillotine and a pathway for a democratic Caesar, end quote. Pretty sure he's alluding to Napoleon on that Caesar comment. And why does the author feel we were successful and the French were turned to a king? Quote, we constitutionalized our pursuit of equality. They didn't, end quote. I hasten to add my own views. It is not only that one writes a constitution, one also has to follow it. The Soviet Union had a constitution which guaranteed freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, etc. Big deal. Anyway, I suggest you read the Declaration of Independence. It's short. I include a link. It opens with all men are created equal, 
said government does, derives its power from the consent of the governed and lays the groundwork for why it is right for a people to throw off an abusive government. What I really like is just before the list of grievances, the document reads, quote, let facts be submitted to a candid world. Wow, facts. They actually were interested in facts. To be fair, I think on some of those facts, there were two sides. Still, our forefathers laid out a goal, laid out the facts, said, King George, you suck, and we are out of here. This podcast really did not go as I planned. You see, I learn things as I write it. Not just facts or information, but what I think. My thinking on this subject takes me to the average quarterback, Colin Kaepernick, who chose to kneel during the national anthem to pro protest our lack of perfection. Mr. Kaepernick was right. Not to kneel, but to say we are not perfect. Our country is definitely not perfect, but we do aspire to be better, or at least we used to. It is okay to look back and find faults if we use that knowledge to try to do better moving forward. But I think we should do a little more looking and moving forward. Thanks for listening to Views on the News from the Couch. If you like this podcast, please share with your friends. If you did not like it, please share with the rest of the folks you know.